This, this is God Stories Radio Podcast. God Stories Radio With Fritz, Mike, and Tina. Today, oh, and she is over with her mom, uh, comforting her, and uh, such and so, such. Okay, yeah. so it appreciates some prayer as far as that goes. But uh, it's guys' night out tonight, and, and it is. Uh, it's full in here, almost. So, yeah, yeah, it is. Special Halloween edition tonight. We're here amongst the. Uh, trick-or-treaters outside i got all the lights off so hopefully they won't be banging on the door so yeah there you go (laughs) oh Uh mikey what's going on over there just trying to get through the week that's all week Uh, come on man man. okay just trying to get through the week that's it really really seriously seriously all right I did. I went hunting today and I was frustrated. I didn't see nothing. So uh, yeah, kind yeah. of a little frustrated. You had to go hunting in that brand new Dodge Ram. It's not brand new. Come on now. Well, it is to you. Well, it is. Yeah. Real Dodge tough. <laughs> the Ram tough. Dude, that's Mikey. <laughs> uh, it was nice taking it into those woods that I used to take my little Toyota Corolla in. Right? Oh, yeah. Did you have to get out and lock the hubs on the Toyota? No. You threw that sugar sand? No, that was, uh, the Toyota is a uh, all-wheel drive, so actually probably get through just as good as the truck. I like your voice tonight. You yeah. Kind of sound like smooth jazz with Mikey. In stereo. <laughs> <laughs> well, in absence of Tina tonight, we miss her dearly, but um, she might be listening if you are, honey. We love you, and we're praying for you and your yes. mother. Hope everything's going well over there. Send her a... Our love, please, from GSR and from from me personally, and Mikey. And the GSR family. And the GSR family. That's correct. So, well, Mikey, uh, what do we have for likes tonight and shout outs? We have, uh, we do have a Facebook like, his name is Everett Kaufman. Everett, thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the GSR family. Welcome. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. And anyone else out there, if you have not done so yet, please do so so we don't have that little awkward moment in the studio. It is awkward. <laughs> and we're still, no no new country, still at 104. 104 still blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It really it does. does. Nothing we're doing. 
Oh, no. Praise to the Father. Absolutely. All the glory to him. You bet. He brings the rain, as my brother always says, over, sitting right over here, uh -huh. who you're soon to hear. But uh, all right, then. Well. Trick or treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say, though, uh, a very special thank you to uh, this individual who uh, would prefer to remain, you know, nameless. But uh, there was a very generous donation this week, and our new computer is on the way. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. Is that a trick or treat? That's a treat. That's all I know. Because <laughs> wow. when I got the text and the amount, I went, holy smokes. Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise so the Lord. The computer has been ordered and uh, be here by next week's show, hopefully. But we still have... Uh tax man coming we have the tax man coming and uh you know every little bit helps we appreciate everybody that's that's given thus far and, and everything and had just enough to purchase the computer that i've desired and wanted to have for such a long time and we've been saving for it and it is on the way praise the lord praise the lord yes thank you so much thank you jesus for the prayers and support and uh you're the reason we do this bring hope and encouragement it's been our only agenda since we got started six years ago. Six and a half. Six and much. a half. Yeah, yeah, you got it. That's right. All right. Well, uh, praise report. What else? I think that's about it, Mikey. So uh, who do we have? Our guest tonight. Guests. Well, well I, do, I do know our guest as far as the testimony goes a little bit. I've met him uh, probably a couple months ago at Real Men. And uh, but... The other gentleman sitting to my right has been in here before. We were talking about that. He was here, I think, in session six with a couple other guys when we were in the kitchen. And he was here for session our five-year anniversary. I think it was five-year anniversary, yeah. yes. We had the Rev and him and mm -hmm. uh, Ray Flannery and Flannery. Yeah. Who else did we have? We had about four or five guys in here. It, it was, was amazing. It was. We could have kept was going. A good time We'd still, probably still keep going. Yeah. You made a cheesecake. <laughs> or was it a carrot cake? It probably was a carrot cake. I don't know. I think it was a carrot cake. That's all you asked for. Well, <laughs> I mean, when you've had Mikey's carrot cake, I mean, there is no substitute. Uh-huh. So, so anyway, yeah. I'm going to let uh, the gentleman to my right, John Durham, who has been on this show probably three or four times in different uh, circumstances. So I'm going to let him introduce our guest. Uh, well, before we get started, first thing I want to say is thank you guys for having me back. Uh, I think it's awesome to think back about all those years ago when you guys first started this. In the storage unit. In the storage unit, kitchen. yeah. Um, the kitchen. Uh, we also were able to come on here and talk a little bit about uh, war at one point in time. I've given yeah. my testimony here. And I just want to thank the two of you guys and Tina. She's not here tonight, but uh, for the, the ministry that you guys have been so diligent about doing. And I know that you guys have put so much into this and it's such a blessing to all of your listeners and potential new listeners that are going to be uh, tuning in for you guys. And I just, what, what an awesome, awesome blessing it is that God has put on you guys since the very beginning to, to hear that you guys have over a hundred different countries mm -hmm. that are listening to you guys now. I know, right? I mean, uh -huh. and session 223 tonight. Wow. 223. Who'd have thunk it? Well, you figured session six or five was when, <laughs> yeah, thing so, was six, yeah. yeah in the infant stages of it. And it's just, man, I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so proud of you guys. This is just awesome. And it's because of things like this that give people the hope that you're talking about, Fritz, uh, that 
you know, that manifests out outside of this place when we start developing relationships. Uh, I've been blessed to be able to be a part of our men's ministry at our church for for a number of years, I think since 2007. So, wow. and uh, that's actually where I, I met you guys as guests tonight. His name is Josh Griffin. Uh, and I, I actually met him in our men's group. And we have been able to develop a relationship and uh, a, bro- uh, a kinship, a brotherhood. And uh, it's just been an awesome blessing. And to be able to be here tonight and to hear what he's going to have to say and to share his testimony, I feel extremely blessed to do that. Amen and, uh, to that. So, um, this is Josh's first time uh, on the radio with us. And, uh, you know, he's got an amazing story he that does. he's going to share tonight. And that's just, you know, I can't wait to to hear what God's put on his heart. So. I, I've, I've heard some of it, and I'm sure he's going to bless someone out there, or those, those someone's out there that Father has ready to listen. You bet. All right. Take it away, my friend. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. My name is, like I said, then my name is Josh Griffin. Um, I met John and, and a couple of these guys at uh at the church I go to, you know, my real language group at uh at Real Life Church. And you know, recently I had an opportunity to share parts of my story, you know, little parts with the guys at men's group. And uh that's when uh, you know, Mike had approached me about coming on here to the show and and you know, sharing sharing you know my story openly and honestly with the world and with your with your listeners. Um, hey, we appreciate that, brother. Not yes, everybody sir. says yes. No, we ask don't. a lot of people. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's hard. Uh, uh, I'll be honest with you. This isn't my comfort zone. Uh, it's not not that I'm not that I have a problem talking it's to still people. Well, I was going to say he's not uncomfortable talking. No, I can tell not. you that. Yeah, I'm not uncomfortable talking. It's, uh, uh, it's just you know I, you know I, uh, my story has some pretty dark moments in it. Um, so you know. People sometimes in the world, and I think we forget as, as, as Christians, you know, is that, you know, some people didn't have an easy road to get to where they got to in their brotherhood. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The walk of Christ. Right. Um, and we, we got to understand that, you know, we come from all walks of life. And the only important thing that should matter to any of us is that we all end up in the same place. Got yep. that right, in Christ's house. Yep. Um, the Father made your testimony right for there. you. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, I'll start off, you know, I think uh, to, to, to kind of better understand my story as a whole, uh, you kind of got to understand my parents a little bit and where I came from, how I was raised. Uh, my dad was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He was the first of his family from Ireland, born in the United States. So he grew up in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s in, in, in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, his best friend growing up from childhood was the godfather's son of the mafia. Oh, wow. So that was his best friend in childhood growing up. And, uh so my dad grew up, you know, fighting and, and uh, he was a welterweight contender for a long time or whatever, back when they fought without gloves. And he went from there to going into the military. He did, you know, the merchant Marines, the fleet Marines, uh, the Navy and the Army. And he ended up in Berlin uh, during World War II in the Army. Uh, when he came back because of his boxing career, they had made him the head trainer and gave him uh, from a first uh, private first class to a master sergeant's promotion wow. instantly and made him the trainer of their boxing team. Wow. So my dad's, that's kind of an idea of my dad. My dad's a hard knocks kind of guy growing up, the old school Irish Catholic, you know, that's the family he was raised in. My mom, on the other hand, my mom grew up in Panama Canal. So my mom's also Panamanian, but all her family roots go back to Ireland. So oh. all of her family's Irish, but my mom's family at one point in time, because my grandpa, where I got my name from, Joshua, he was a police officer for the Panama Canal. He was chief police of Panama Canal. So my mom growing up, that's kind of like she had, you know, she had a real strict mom. She had older brother and younger brother. And 
you know, she grew up in a, in a, in a, in a tough, but firm family. You know what I'm saying? Now both had failed marriages before they met each other. Both were recovering alcoholics when they met each other. Mm. So my dad gave my mom her first birthday cake for her first year of recovery. And then asked her out on a date. And six months later, they were married. Wow. My mom was told years before she met my dad, she'd never be able to have kids. Uh, my grandma had forced her to have a miscarriage. So the fact that I'm even standing here today in seal is a miracle. Amen. Uh, so she had three of us. She had my, my older brother and my older sister. Um, my brother's five years older than me and my sister's seven years older than me. So growing up in my household, by the time we were born, our parents were sober. They were Christians. My dad was now an actor in Hollywood. Oh, okay. So I grew up in the Hollywood, California, you know, Beverly Hills, that kind of area, L.A. And, you know, growing up with actors, kids and others, you know, seeing movie stars come over to the house and hang out and things like that. Like my dad did a year cut Kodak commercial with David Copperfield. So we had... David Carfield and his wife at the house for dinner and things like that. Wow. This is just the things that, you know, happen in our household. This was considered the norm. The norm for you. Yeah. yeah but also the, also the norm for us, though, because my parents are devout, recovering, you know, alcoholics. I remember coming home one day and me and my brother and sister were little kids. We were in the car. I'm probably about five, six years old. And uh, we pull into the driveway and there's this guy butt naked in our driveway, <laughs> taking a shower in our driveway with the garden hose. My dad stops the car. It's on a Sunday, too. We're coming home from church. My dad stops the car, turns to my mom, says, he says, honey, he says, take the kids in the house. She says, park the car. So let me take care of this. He says, everything will be fine. I thought my dad was going to go out there and kill this guy. Because, you know, my dad, my dad was, my dad was good father. No, let's not get that mistaken. Mm -hmm. But he was an Irish strict Catholic. So he was tough. Mm -hmm. If you got out of line and you were a son, you understood what it meant to be chastised by the father. If you were the daughter, then mom would chastise you because, you know, either way, you're, yeah. you know, daddy's not going to put a hand on his little girl like that. But but she knew mom was just as bad as dad. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Sure. My, yeah, dad would, yeah. my dad was German, but staunch Catholic background. <laughs> they called his father the Kaiser. Yeah. <laughs> I get it, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So, so growing up, you know, uh, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian, devout Christian family. Uh, I learned what was right and wrong. I, I grew up in a good home. I never had to really want for anything as a kid. Um, my dad didn't give us everything we wanted, but we pretty much got whatever we really did want. You know, what I'm saying? if mm -hmm. we really wanted it bad enough, dad would make sure somewhere or another it was a gift that was given to us for some reason. Or we'd go out and do chores and work to earn it. Of course, our chores would never amount to the amount of money the gift was, but the fact that we earned and, and were willing to do something to earn the right. Yeah, you had some investment in it. You exactly. took care of it too, right. though, didn't you? Exactly. And my dad was the same way. Exactly. He was the kind of guy that, you know, I remember I was seven, eight years old. I told my dad I wanted to fort out in the yard. We had this uh, summer home in Little Rock, California. And that's where we grew up in the high deserts. We had dune, dune bug, uh, dune, sand dunes across the street from our house. We used to go out there in the dune buggies and the four-wheelers. And, you know, we had a boxing ring built in our backyard. And uh, so my dad taught me and my brother how to fight, how to box. Uh, my dad's like, all right, you want a fort? He says, well, here's, I got tons of all this plywood and this lumber right here. Here's how you work the saw. Here's how you work the table. Here's how you work the shovel. Here's, he showed me how to use every tool in that shed. And then he said, there's y'all. He says, whenever you're ready, the fort's waiting. But he taught me what I needed to know to build a fort on my own so I wouldn't ever have to need nobody in order to survive. That's how my dad was. My dad wasn't able to give us all the things that I probably wish I had, but he gave us all the things that he knew we needed mm -hmm. so that no matter where we were in life, we knew how to survive. 
you know, we can make it on our own. Um, so I, I thank him for that. You know, he did the best he could with what he had to offer us and he gave us good life. But my mom was, my mom was one of those moms that because they were both at one point in time lost in the world themselves before they became Christians, um, they kind of wanted to try to protect us as best they could mm. from finding out what the world really had for us. Um, and I think that's probably the only mistake I think my parents ever made. They were so strict about that that we never really, we knew what was bad, what was not bad, but we never really knew why it was bad. Mm. And that wasn't really a talk of conversation, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, why can't I drink alcohol? Well, you had the disease of addiction in your veins. It's not good for you. It could kill you. That was how our conversations went. You know, with me and my kids, it's a little bit different. Um, I've learned how to adjust a little bit. And I tell them, I said, look, you know, it's, I ain't telling you you can't drink. I'm just telling you that, you know, you've seen what it did to your dad. So be careful with the decisions you make because the outcomes may not be the ones you're looking for. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I give my kids all the information I can to make sure that they know before they get into a situation uh, what they're getting into ahead of time. You know, uh, that's the, the kind of thing I learned and improved on as a father from what my dad had taught to me. But um, so that's the family I grew up in. You know, um, everything was kind of a, uh, a great time until the first time I was probably about nine years old and I smoked my first cigarette. And I was like, oh, really? Well, this isn't what mom and dad said it was going to be like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now mom and dad are wrong. They're liars. You know, they haven't told me the truth. What else have they not told me the truth about? And so I tried a wine cooler and man, was that amazing. <laughs> I was like 10 years old. It was a orange wine cooler back in the days. The mm -hmm. Seagram's wine cooler. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. I remember those. And, man, and you, all you had to do is walk down to the gas station if you were at least 10 years old. And somebody that walked in would buy you a six pack of them and bring them out to you for like four bucks. So, you know, uh, you save up a week's worth of, you know, uh, chore money and stuff like that and you know you can go get yourself a couple of six packs if you want you know but so that's how my childhood started off um and then i started off early in the drugs when i was probably about 12 and 13 um we moved out here from california out to georgia um try to get me and my family away from uh all the crime and the violence out there mm. so um when we came out here i got involved heavily in the drugs and girls and sex and things like that um i'll step back for a second though um, share a part of my story I don't really share with people. Um, but when I was about seven, eight years old, I remember one time feeling like like I had done something wrong. Uh, my brother walked in and I was in in the room with one of his uh, friends that was like five years older than me, six years older than me, and um, come to find out that it, what we were doing wasn't proper. Uh, so, yeah, when I was about seven years old, I was molested by my brother's friend, wow. my older brother's friend. And uh, uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday because uh, I knew something was wrong when my brother came in and grabbed his buddy, his best friend, by his throat and slammed him to the wall and told me he was going to kill him if he ever seen him again. And that was the last I ever saw of, of that guy. Mm -hmm. But um, so and my brother never told nobody. And I don't really talk about it much. You know, it's not a, a part of my story that's easy to share. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so all my life, I've kind of always felt like, like something was broke, you right. know what I'm saying? Inside me. Um, and I was always looking for some way or something that was going to fix that problem inside me. Um, I remember about, I was probably about 14 years old. Uh, 
15 years old and me and my buddies were out and man, we were doing some crazy, stupid stuff out in the streets. And, um, I remember that's the first time I ever, you know, got involved in some, some violent stuff, you know, doing things when I was a teenager and things. And, uh, I got arrested. I remember my dad having to come bail me out of jail. Well, actually he wouldn't bail me out, but you know, I was like 15 years old, but they released me to his custody, but I'm sitting down in the city jail waiting for my dad to get down there. And I'm thinking to myself, man, can you just lock the door and don't let him <laughs> in? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not going to be good for no. me if he comes walking through that door. Like, you're not releasing me into a, a safe environment. You're releasing me into a lot worse than where I'm at right now. You'd rather stay inside. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And uh, that was first of about two or 3,000 arrested I've had. Whoa. That was the first. Um, that was Wait, probably but back up that film just a minute. How yeah, many? About two to three thousand before my 18th birthday. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Yeah. So I was arrested a lot. Um, I wasn't a good kid. I was a good kid when it came to the way I treated a girl I was with, or the way I treated adults, or the way I treated you know my my studies at school. You know, I got good grades. I didn't really do much at class, but I was just naturally a smart kid. My mom was a school teacher, so she made sure that. Me and my brother and sister were way far ahead of the education system as far as what we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing 12th grade work. I remember when I was in like fifth grade at, at homeschool um, when they took us out of the private academies. And um, then I went back into public school or whatever. And they're like, you know, his placement levels, you know, way higher than where it's at. But, you know, I'm not going to skip grades because I don't want to be like 12, 13 years old. And uh, with the seniors in high school, right. I mean, that, that wasn't good. I was a short kid until I, till my, till my <laughs> sophomore year of high school, I was like five foot and nothing, hundred and nothing pounds. <laughs> yeah, I was a little kid. I just sprouted up like a foot over the summer, though, and came back my sophomore year at six foot four and about 200 pounds, and things were a little bit different. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, so one summer changed a whole lot of things for me in my life. But, um, you know, I played football in school and, and things like that. But, you know, I couldn't I couldn't kick the drugs and I couldn't kick the women. Um it seemed like that was the only time that I was happy is when I was really being miserable. Um, uh, well, you're in good company there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, I fought this addiction. I remember the first time I woke up with a white sheet over my face. I was 19 years old and I was back from the military. And uh, I remember waking up and I, I was in a cold sweat and I sat up and I was screaming, doctor come in my eye, my room. And it's the first time I've ever seen a doctor cry. And he had tears coming out of his eyes and he looked at me and he says, somebody with more power than me gave you life. He says, you're dead. You've been dead 20 minutes off life support. Whoa. And, wow. Uh, yeah, they had me covered up with a white sheet, had me toe tagged. And they were getting ready to go through my prolongs to try to notify next of kin of my, you know, my decease from drug and alcohol overdose. Um, and so right then is when that's when I realized that, you know, maybe, maybe I need to try to do something about this. Maybe this is getting out of control. Um, it took me. Yeah, I'd say dying is probably a good, <laughs> yeah. good indication. Good indication. <laughs> Think about what you're doing. Right? Well, I'm just getting the visual, you know, like with the toe tag and the white sheet over. I mean, he's gone. Yeah. yeah. End zone. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what it was about that moment that made you think, well, maybe I might want to change what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but here, here's, here's the scary thing, man, is that what, what I think we as Christians sometimes forget, and, and what I had forgot is that when you start looking at the shades of darkness as like they're shades of gray, hmm. The darkness don't seem like darkness anymore. It starts to seem like the light too. You know what I'm saying? The mm-hmm. things that you know you're doing are wrong. It feels like you're doing what's right because you you become numb 
to the emotions that would normally deter you from doing those things. Yeah, the Bible speaks to that too. Yep. You know, the the thing that, um, that Josh, I think you and I have talked about on more than one occasion that's so powerful is that so many people assume that you have to grow up in a bad environment or you have to have bad parents or you have to be poor or you have to be in a, a, a destitute situation to be, to turn to that kind of lifestyle. And what's always struck me about your story is, is that you grew up in a, in a home with two believers that, you know, that exactly very good providers and uh, that showed love and discipline. And and maybe like you said, maybe a little bit, I I come from an Irish Catholic family myself, so, (laughs) but that's probably what's wrong with me. But, you know, could you touch a little bit more on that? Because I think sometimes people miss out on that. They think that, you know, how does this guy go from this to this? Right. From this place where, you know, you've got this influence. Because a lot of people come into the church and they think, well, okay, I'm just going to become a Christian. Everything's going to be gravy. Right. Right. You know, and <laughs> and the reality of it is it's not how it typically happens. So, no. Well, the, you you know, the, the truth is like, like for me growing up, I remember one point in time, I was the guy, because my dad had a church, so I, I'm also a preacher's kid. Um, when my dad semi-retired from the acting business, um, due to some differences between him and Aaron Spelling, um, what happened is my dad, he woke up like 3 o'clock in the morning one morning. He felt that God had woke him up, and God was telling him to start church. My dad's like, this is crazy. He's like, I'm not a pastor. He's like, I don't know anything about pastoring a church. He says, what am I going to call it? And he said, call it the Church for Christ. My dad said, well, there's a thousand of those. He says, no, there's none. I said, what are you talking about? He says, there's a thousand of those churches. He says, no, there's none. Check. So my dad got up the next day and spent about six hours investigating that name. Found out there's not one in existence anywhere in the world. There's no church for Christ. There's church of Christ, church, church in up, Christ, yeah. church with Christ, the church of Latter-day Saints of Christ. I mean, there's all these different churches for Christ, and but no church for Christ. Wow. So he said, that's what you're called. He said, and he showed him the scripture where it says, if you're not against me, you're for me. He says, you'll call it the church for Christ. He says, it'll be non-denominational, and that your belief will be for everyone to come in and fellowship with me in love. So that was my dad's preachings. That was his teachings. You know, it was always about how it didn't matter who you were, where you grew up, what walk of life you came from. God loved you before you ever were existing. Mm-hmm. And it's our responsibility until we see him again to carry that love on to everyone that we come across in life. And my dad was a firm believer in that. My dad's the only man I know. Call me crazy. This is back before everybody had a different gender than, than, than male or female. But... My dad was the guy, he'd, he'd meet you, you know, he, it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. He never met you a day in his life. He would greet you with a hug and a kiss right on the lips to tell you he loved you. God loved you. What can I do to help you? What can I do to make your life better? And that's what my dad was, you know. Um, I remember the guy that I was telling you about in the driveway that was taking the shower. Well, I was just going to go there. Because <laughs> I know that yeah, story. When, when, we, that when, story. We, when we had come in the house, you know, and I, and I remember coming in the house and this guy's sitting at my kitchen table. With my dad in my dad's clothes, eating my food. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world's going on here? Like my dad's sitting there and he's telling me everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. He's like, we're going to call her. He's like, we'll, have, we'll all sit down. He says, well, and what he's doing is the guy was losing his marriage. And he, he went out on a bender and lost his sobriety. And, um, you know, of course, his alcohol played a big part of him, you know, and his wife having their problems. But that's what my mom and dad did. They would take people that were falling apart. 
that were losing things and, and didn't have hope and they they helped pick them back up and pre, put them back together put hope back in their life put god back in their life and get it back on the right track so that they have another mm-hmm. chance to live life the right way um you know like that that guy right there they helped him and his wife work out the differences in their in their marriage and and save their marriage and and they've done that for countless amounts of people throughout the program that they've been in um you know the program worked for a lot of people i'm not saying it didn't work for me it's just um I have to have a little bit more God in my life today than, than just that. Um, the reason for that is that uh, at one point in time, I allowed myself to get pretty dark uh, down the wrong path. You know, I started working when I got out of the military. I started working for different types of organizations that were not legal people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the one of the groups or whatever is, is a huge biker gang that, that, that is basically all of Florida and Georgia. Um, you know, you guys probably heard of them called the Outlaws. So, um, you know, I, I had ties with them and with with uh, other kinds of criminal and drug organizations um, throughout Georgia and Florida, um, you know, doing 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 things that I shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. um, toting guns, you know, methamphetamines, all sorts of things. Uh, um, I was living my life in the complete opposite direction of where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I wasn't looking behind me to see what I was missing. You know, I, I was I was down a dark, dark path. Um, yeah, but going back to that, Josh, the again, how did you get to that place? Because as you said earlier, you know, you grew up in a house that was contradictory to that. You had two parents that were helping people, that were spreading the gospel, that were so <clears throat> how did you go from being in that spot to then moving into that direction? Uh, it was it was actually more of a gradual thing, to be honest. Um it, it started when I smoked my first cigarette. Oh, uh, it probably started before that, really, when I when I was molested. Yeah. Um, because I always kind of felt ashamed of mm-hmm. of who I was. Uh, I've always felt because because I didn't know at the time what I'd done wrong. This wasn't something that people talked about back in those days. Right. You know, it wasn't something that was discussed. Um, and my brother certainly wasn't going to talk about it with me. He just told me that you know I'm not going nowhere near his house, or he's going to kill him, and that was it. I mean, that was in the discussion. There wasn't no further conversation to be had about it. Um, so. I didn't know what had happened. I just knew that it was not supposed to happen. It was mm-hmm. wrong. Um, so I felt ashamed for that. Um, I was probably eight years old. Um, the first time I had any kind of sexual encounter with a female, um, which was my babysitter um, in California back in the day. Um, so that was my first encounter with the opposite sex. Uh, and I lost my virginity when I was 11. So, yeah, I was off to the races <laughs> wow. early in yeah, life. I guess wow. so. Okay. Yeah, I went off to the races early in life. But um, it started when when I first had that first hit of the cigarette, uh, John, because uh, it, it's at a moment there, it just kind of felt like my mom and dad, you know, like I said, it's like, they okay, mom, yeah, mom and dad lied to me about this. What else were they lying to me about? Mm-hmm. And then it became more of the curiosity, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not saying that I was trying to head to the darkness because I wasn't. I was just curious about what this no, tastes like, what up, did that taste like. Open the door for the chatter. Yep, exactly. What, yeah. does it, what does this smell like? What does that smell like? You uh-huh. know? And, and um, before I knew it, I wasn't trying anything anymore. I was, I couldn't figure out how I got to where I was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One, one moment I'm like, I'm trying to, to smoke a joint and see what weed tastes like. Next thing I know, I'm slinging weed and I'm smoking it all day long. And I'm like, what am I, where, how did I get here? Uh-huh. It almost reminds you, if you think about it in the word, when it's like that was your Eden moment at the tree, you know? Yep, that's yeah. right. When the serpent rolled upon uh, Eve and Adam, I, I always love that story, but most people want to leave Adam out of the equation, but he was there and that's what made it even worse. But, you know, when you look at how the enemy works in our lives, it's like, 
you know, what did God say about this tree? Well, he says, if we eat this fruit of this tree, we're going to die. And he's like, come on, surely you're not going to die. Exactly. You know, he, he just doesn't like, he just doesn't want you to know what he knows. And, and, I, and so don't you want to be like God, you know? And so it builds that curiosity. Again, I think he planted this seed of doubt with Eve in that moment saying, God's not being honest with you. He's not being straight. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that would remind That's exactly of, what he did with him with his parents. Right. Yeah. Your parents have been honest with you. Yeah, they're yeah. lying to you. They, exactly. Look what this they've been hiding that. from you. Look what you're missing. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. That's, that's, that's exactly what had happened there. And, um, you know, it was funny because most of the kids I would hang out with that I would be doing drugs with or drinking with were Christian kids who had fathers that were deacons or pastors uh-huh. or, or, you know, and it, it was crazy, but those were my my, yeah. my partying buddies well, for a little while in the beginning well, until I, my partying went to a whole new level. level. Right. <laughs> well, when I got the two by four upside the head um, and father started to bring people into my life and a lot of them were young and they were Christians, but I got to hear their stories and every single one of them went down a path off to the side, yep. the dark side, yep. you know, either small or large, but every single one of them did. Yep. Some of them were pastor kids, but they were brought up Christian or anything else. But, and it was almost every single one I met. Well, you know, I, I found out and I, and I, you know, I, I, the reason why I've always had such a passion about trying to work with teens and, and young adults and things like that, you know, John knows that I'm passionate about this, but my reason for that is I, I've, I've learned from my own experiences and from experiences of other people around me. I pay close attention. You know, that's the kind of guy I am. It's normally around our, you know, our teenage years, mid-teens to, to late teens is when is when those aha moments in our Garden of Eve moments happen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's where we have to make the judgment call whether or not this is really wrong or is it just not approved by some people kind of a judgment where, mm. where we're, can, can we make an excuse for what we know we're doing is wrong to where it sounds like it's not wrong anymore. Um, and the, the thing is that some of us make the right choice. You know, we, and we realize, no, that's, that's not something I really want to go down. I don't want to do that. And, you know, I'm, and I'm happy for those people. I'm glad they never had to go through that kind of pain that, that, that other way can take you. But unfortunately in today's society, in today's day and age is that we have a lot more kids that aren't getting the right information that they need to, to make the educated decisions to know whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And a lot of that starts in, in, you know, with us here in the house, you know what I'm saying? Um, because if we're not willing to talk to our kids about what we know is real and what's going to happen out there in the world that they're going to face, then we don't need to be the ones sitting there telling them what they did wrong and getting mad at them when they made the mistakes that we could have tried to help them prevent. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, and this day and age, too, you think about it, a lot of the kids these days uh, don't have their father. Exactly. In one way or another. Exactly. And that's why I think more of these, um, uh, I know I heard about some uh, Big Brother program that was getting started up or whatever, I think, with the men's group or some people. And, uh, man, that, that's just I mean that we need more things like that out there, mentor programs and big brother programs. You know, thing where where men of God can help younger men of God become better men of God because they are our future. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I have a feeling that I might be here a little while longer than I want to be, because obviously I've been declared dead six times and the good Lord hasn't seen it fit yet to let my butt hit the ground yeah, that hard. He's so, got something for you to do. Yeah, he's got that's what I'm saying. I don't know what his plan is for me. I just know whatever it is, it was better than what I had for myself. And I'm grateful for that today. Well, very rarely do you hear that they had to remove a toe tag. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you hit on something that's so crucial that I think that 
we can't skip over tonight is and being a part of the men's ministry that I that I've come to to know and, and been far too familiar with is is that you know statistically speaking the demographic is eighteen to thirty five we're losing them mm-hmm. yeah. and and one of the things I say all the time jokingly but it's the truth is we get them when they're already messed up in mm-hmm. men's group true they've already gone through they've already gone through that that season in their life where there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that Josh hits on a great point there that, you know, there has to be a stop gap there. There has to be something we have to learn how to fill that gap uh, with young men, because that seems to be the place where we're losing the most. So, exactly. and I know that's a passion of his, he's talked about it like that, but uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that we have to be, you know, aware of right. as Christian men is that we have a greater responsibility. Yes, we do. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, about myself and where we're at. Um, like I said, I, I, I after after all these little tests and trials, whatever, and then finding out that I woke up one day really, and I was just like, you know, it was pitch black dark, and I'm thinking to myself, where on God's green earth have I gone? I'm like, how did I even get here? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I didn't recognize the guy in the mirror no more, and I didn't like him. I knew that. I knew I didn't know who he was, but I knew I did not like him. I did not want to be his friend. Yeah. We weren't going to get along. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, and it was me, but I, I didn't know who he was. I just knew we wasn't going to be friends. You know what I mean? Um, but it was a it was a crazy part of my life, and and uh, I remember trying to put a stop to it, but I was still doing some municipal stuff on the side while trying to get clean, but. Um, I was trying to stay out of trouble and do stuff, you know, the right way as best I could. And, uh, you know, fighting a hard fight for almost 20 years to try to get clean and sober. Um, and I ended up doing a favor for a friend and, you know, uh, and I got set up by the drug task force and they took me down and they tried to give me 40 years to the door, which is, no, which is no parole. Wow. Up in Georgia. And um, I remember I was in, I was arrested um, with the warrant and, and, and booked into the jail and, that same night, give you mind this, this is about nine, no, it's about, it's about, yeah, nine o'clock at night on a Saturday night, my parole officer is sitting in the jail, which that never have, they don't come to you, they'll, they'll, if you get arrested on the weekend, they'll come see you Monday morning. Right. Uh, he's there at nine o'clock at night on Saturday night, let me know, hey, by tomorrow, by Monday morning, you'll be on a bus to prison. I'm like, well, I ain't gone to court yet, I ain't been found guilty, it don't matter. He says, I'm violating the time you already have. It's a year. I'm sending you down the road. He said, let's see what happens. So I did. I was arrested in less than 48 hours. I was on a bus down the road to a maximum security level five prison. Whoa. Wow. They don't play in Georgia, do they? No, they don't. they don't. Um, I remember going back and forth. Now, keep in mind, it's a four and a half hour bus ride from where I'm in prison to where I got to go to court. So they'd bring me back to court like once a month. So I got to ride handcuffs, you know, to my waist and and down to my ankles and chained together on a bus for four and a half hours. One way. Yeah, one way. And uh, just just to spend a night or two down there and then tell me, oh, we're we're postponing your court date and sending me back in like three days later for another four and a half hours, come back a month (laughs) later. And they did that for a whole year. Good gravy. For a year, they, they, they traveled me back and forth and I kept putting my court dates off and they finally came back for what was supposed to be the sentencing hearing for my case. And, and uh, my, I remember my lawyer coming to me and he says, look, he says, uh, I don't know what to tell you, Josh. He says, uh, he says, they're not taking any pleas. They don't want to hear nothing. They want 40 years, not a day late. So um, I remember getting up the next day for court 
And for some reason, before I entered the courtroom, there was a change of venue that day. And the judge that I was supposed to have, who doesn't like me, was also known as the hanging judge, um, was no longer the judge for my case. A new judge had been appointed to my case. Um, And then the DA, who didn't like me, was taken and appointed to the case that the judge was switched to. And the ADA, who didn't know me and didn't know much about me, took over my case for the for the for the trial. Coincidence. Um, yeah. So yeah. So out of out, yeah. out of out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the 40 years, you know, without parole that I was gonna end up getting, I ended up with a straight 10-year sentence on a plea bargain at the last second in the courtroom with the new judge and the ADA. Um, based on the fact that I would I would go in there and I would do whatever kind of programs they had to rehabilitate myself mm-hmm. and do my do right. my due diligence. So they they assigned me all these classes. But the judge still got me though. Because I wasn't arrested for anything violent. And in Georgia, if you have a violent charge, you have to do at least 60% of your time. But on the paperwork that went only to the prison, they wrote assaulting a police officer, simple assault, which is considered a violent crime. So I ended up doing six of the 10 years in prison. Um, And, you know, keep in mind, this is a prison in in South Georgia that um, it's known for being violent. Lots of people dying on a regular basis. Uh, mm-hmm. Guards getting hurt, inmates getting killed. Um, I mean, it was, it was it was it was a an aha moment to say the least. I remember my yeah. first my first night in there. I get there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, this ain't so bad. You know, I'm in prison, I'm not around any drugs, not around any alcohol. You know, I can get clean, I can get sober, and I can at least try to get my mind back on the right track and see what I can do with my life when I get out of here. No, it didn't work out like that. I got in there in prison and realized in the first 48, first 24 hours that there was more drugs and alcohol available in prison for cheaper and better quality than there was on the street. Wow. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, this is, this cannot be happening to me right now. You know, I remember, I remember feeling like, like there was no escape for me. Um, and uh, that night, I happened to be in my room in my cell by myself. I didn't have a roommate that night. I was in, in, in holding or whatever until they processed me to put me in a population. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember hitting my knees, and uh, I started trying to pray to God, and I didn't know what to say. And I, I remember hitting my knees, and I just cried out to the Lord. I said, uh, I said, you know, it's now or never. I said, uh, I said, I can't do this anymore. You know, I don't, I don't have the power to fight this addiction with it sitting in here, tapping me on the shoulder all day long. I said, so you either need to take me or you need to take it from me because one of the two has to happen. I can't survive either way, any other way. And I remember waking up the next morning and I haven't had a desire to drink or do drugs since that day. Wow. So he completely took the disease away from me. Um, Like I tried to go out and have a drink here or there just to see if it was still fun and enjoyable. And it's like, it still tastes good, but it's like, I have the the desire, the interest, the 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 the, the reasons why I, right. I wanted to drink. None of that was there anymore. And I was just like, why am I doing this? You know, like I'm looking at the glass going, this is stupid. Like, I, I know it tastes good, but I don't want to drink. And I'd put it down or give it to someone else and, and that'd be it. But um, it's just, he just, the things he's done for me in my life, um, because of that moment, I, you know, I told him that I, I would do everything I could to, to give as much of my time as I could to him. Um, that if he put whatever he put in front of me, I would just do it. You know what I'm saying? If I didn't like it, I didn't want to do it. It didn't matter. I would accept it. I would thank him for letting me be a part of his decision and his plan for me. And I would do it. Um, and I've done that. It's, it's not easy. Uh, there's days I get up, man, and, and 
man, I wish I, I didn't have to get up. You know, I'm just like, man, not today. I just don't want to do this. You know, there's, there's days where, you know, things are hard, but today I have peace. Um, and I think that's one thing that, that most Christians long for, but have a hard time finding because we get to this point in our life, in our Christian walk, that mm-hmm. we forget that, you know, when things aren't going great in our lives, you know, we still have that moment where we need to surrender, you know. Um, and it wasn't, things didn't change in my life until I did that, you know what I'm saying? Until I hit my knees and I said, God, I'm yours. Do what you want with my life and I will be grateful. Um, until that moment happened, things didn't change in my life. Things weren't going to change. Mm-hmm. I had to give it all back to him and let him have the control again. Um, and that's where I had strayed so far as I ran so far away from the light that the only thing that mattered to me anymore was the darkness. You know what I'm saying? And then when he showed me that there's a better way and he gave me a chance to have a better life, like there's days that go by where, man, I just, I can't even explain it. John's been there, man. It's the blessings that God puts into my life out of nowhere. Just they're all aha moments. You're just like, wow. Like, why? Like, I don't understand this. Um, you know, it wasn't too long ago. I, I wasn't even financially struggling. I was doing all right. Um, I just got back to work from having my surgery and stuff. And um, matter of fact, let me tell you about that. Before I had my surgery, I was trying to get enough work hours in and to make sure I could put enough money away so I'd be able to have enough money to, to float me while I was, you know, during my off time right. from work from surgery. And mm-hmm. I remember my boss not being able to give me no hours. He kept scheduling me like nine, 10 hour weeks and stuff like that. And I'm not making any money. So uh, sure enough, I'm having my surgery. It's like two or three days after my surgery. And I get a phone call from my dad's Screen Actors Guild. And they're telling me, hey, we got a check for 400 and something dollars just sitting here for you. We don't know where to send it. I said, well, send it to me. (laughs) 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 But but that's how it was. And like, and and within two, within two weeks, you know, when I really needed the money to, 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 to get me by and take care of me, it was there. I mean, out of nowhere, it it appeared and it was there. Yep. Um, exactly. And he's done that for me two or three more times since then, when there's been moments in my life where I didn't need the money, he just blessed me with it so that I could have breathing room to keep my head above water and feel okay about where I'm at in life. Let me know that no matter what I do, as long as I'm doing what he's asked me to do, he will always be there to make sure my life is going to be okay. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. To that. You know what I'm, I'm reminded of right now is uh, one night where we were, Josh had shared his testimony on Monday night and he, he gave his story. And then this gentleman had walked up to me and he handed me some money and he said, I want you to give this to that young man that was up there and share tonight. So I put it, I go, okay. So I put it in my pocket and, and I didn't say anything to Josh. So we were walking out of Monday night and I looked at him. And I said, Hey, uh, are you needing money for something? He said, in my best Josh person, I said, hey, no, I'm, no, I, I don't want to be no money for nothing. What? I, said, <laughs> I said, well, are you sure? Because he's like, Man, I, I don't know why you're saying this, John. I mean, why, why are you asking me this? I said, well, because some guy walked up to me tonight and handed me this and told me to give it to you. And he looked down at the money. It was a $50 bill. And he looked at me and said, said John, are, are you serious right now? I'm like, yeah. I said, I don't know why he gave it to me. I mean, because John didn't solicit any money. He didn't tell right. anybody he needed any money. And we started talking and Josh said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, what? He goes, 
you know, I had planned all my money out and this, this and that. And he said, and I was down. It was like, I needed like $45 <laughs> for, for some kind of bill or something, or something going on. Co-wanky and and the guy had handed a guy, the guy had given me 50, given me a $50 bill to hand to him. Uh, so it was, <laughs> yep. it was, it was, it was uh-huh. pretty awesome. Yeah. I said, well, obviously God knew you needed it. So yep. that's what I'm saying. That, that, that was, that was, you know, just, and there was another time too. I remember, uh, wasn't too long ago, a little over a month ago, maybe, um, you know, some guys came up and, and, and blessed me privately with envelopes or whatever. And I didn't know what it was. And, and I was telling them, I was like, oh, what is it? You know, and then they kind of just walked away. They didn't say nothing. They just said, hey, God, I mean, God told me to give this to you. Or, this, or God, you know, I was told to give this to you. You know, I'm just a vessel. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't struggling. I had everything paid. My bills were taken care of. I had money in my bank. I didn't need nothing, but God bless me. Well, let me. me preface it by this. When Josh says he's not struggling, <laughs> that means he's got enough money for Mountain Dew, potato chips, and Swiss rolls. Okay? <laughs> so, so he's so when we and he we, don't need nothing. I, yeah, I, I think that we need to understand that what what struggling for him is, and what for what most people is, you know. So, you know, for him, as long as he's got those 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 four food groups covered, yeah, he's good. Well, so, yeah, you, well, you, you, you got to understand. Like I'm, I'm a guy that. You know, at one point in time in my life, for a year, I was homeless. Um, and all my money went to make sure that my kids had a roof over their head, that their mama had a car to drive them around to school, to daycare and stuff like that, that the bills were paid, that the food was on the table, because she didn't have a job, even though we weren't together no more. And everything was in my name. So I'm paying for everything, and I'm living in a cardboard box or, or in a laundromat, you know, to get out of the rain in Florida for a whole year, eating out of dumpster sometimes, because I didn't have enough money to buy food for myself. Right. Um. So when I say I'm not struggling, what I mean is I'm still alive. He's not eating out of dumpsters. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not eating out of dumpsters. Yeah, I'm not eating out. I'm not eating wow. out of dumpsters. You know what I'm saying? Um, I know. I know what struggling really well, feels just, like. Just like an open a fresh bag of chips, man. <laughs> yeah. That's living. <laughs> yeah, really. I get it, brother. Just, right. just off to you, brother. Yeah. I'm telling you what, you do the right thing. Right. Take care just, of that and just family. like Paul said, he knows how to live with, and he knows how to live without. Exactly. Yes, sir. And wow. Exactly. And that, you know, that, that's, 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 you know, the key for me is that God's, you know, God, I, I think God's got more of a sense of humor than most people think he does. Oh, he does. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, because, because I, I look at some of the things he's, he's done for me in my life. And then I look at some of the things that I thought he was doing to me in my life. And, and, and now I look back and I'm like, man, how did I miss that then? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there'd just be moments where I knew I should be dead. But God's like, no, it's not your time. You know what I'm saying? Um, I remember waking up in the in the ER room. And my kids were probably three and one, and this is what caused the downward spiral in my marriage. And and I'd overdosed on on drugs. I don't even remember taking. Yeah, wow. I just had my first back surgery, and they had me all messed up on the painkillers and the, and and muscle relaxers and all these heavy doses of medication. This is back when oxycotton was not considered a dangerous drug because nobody really knew about it. Yeah, right. So they had me on high, high doses of it for like twice a day, wow. three times a day, and and then I, and then somehow I, I ended up doing some cocaine. I don't even remember doing cocaine. Like I have literally no memory of it other than waking up in the hospital after getting adrenaline needled in my heart because um, I'd I'd OD'd again. Wow. Um, and that that caused a lot of pain in my marriage which is what eventually led to, you know, some other breakups, you know, there's, a, you know, some problems we were having before that. But so in my life, I've seen a lot of darkness and I've seen a lot of things that Satan would like to do to a person the way he, 
can take you from, from thinking this is not a good idea to thinking that this is a great idea. And that's a scary thing, you know, for us Christians is that we can actually get to that state of mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We're, 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 we're really only a few bad decisions away uh, yep. from being there. Um, so for, for me, it's, it's pretty clear cut choice. You know, I get up today um, and I thank God for allowing me to get up today. And then I ask him, what do you want me to do today? Put it in front of me and I'll get it done. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for giving me the chance to do it. Um, that's the best I can do because, you know, if, if I can just be a better person today than I was yesterday, if I can do a little bit more for God today than I did for him yesterday, I think I'm on the right path. And yes. I think that he's got bigger and better things planned for me and I'm ready to see what he's got. So every day is a bonus for you, brother. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> every day is every day is a blessing, man. Yeah. Uh, God is good. He All will right. never fail you. I think that the best thing I can take out of my message is that it doesn't matter where you go in life and it don't matter how dark you want to go. The bottom line is God will never fail you. You are never too he, far. Exactly. Gone, he will never, he'll, he never stops loving you. He never gives up on you. And he's waiting there with open arms when you're ready to stop being stubborn mm-hmm. and turn around and say, <laughs> help. He's, he's there. He's there. And he, he wants you so bad to come mm-hmm. back because he's got so much more in store for you than what you could ever have in store for yourself. He just needs you to trust right. him. And, you and that were, was the hard part for me. I couldn't put trust in something I couldn't see, feel, or touch. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it took a long time and me having to hit my knees before I realized that it doesn't matter if I can see him or not. I know he's there. I know he's real. And I need to start doing what he asked me to do. Well, mm-hmm. your story is so, uh, it runs parallel with what we've been talking about here at church here recently about Jonah. And we talk about him being the runner. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and every one of us at some stage in our life, we've run from God. Yes, sir. You find out you can't, you can run from him, but you can't outrun him, right? That's one thing. Exactly. But as I sit here and I'm listening to your story, you know, one of the things they said at church the other day is, is that God provided the fish. Right. So when people look at the fish as, as being a punishment, like he was in the belly of a fish for three days, three nights, right? It stinks in there. It's nasty, whatever. Um but the reality of it is, is he needed the fish to survive in the ocean. Absolutely, exactly. He needed the fish to get him to Nineveh. He needed the fish to get him to Nineveh in the amount of time he needed to get there because he was what far away Spit off. Spit him up right yeah. where he's supposed to be, didn't the brother? Uh-huh. And the reality of it is, is I'm sitting there listening to this. Prison was your fish. Yes, it was. It sure was. Wow. Yeah. Preach that, brother. Prison, prison was my fish because what it, it's like I, I've told this before. I know I've told you. I've told a few other people. I was at a point in life where God had to put me in a timeout. He had to put me in a standstill and put me in a situation where it was so bad for me that I had to turn to him because if I didn't, Mm -hmm. I might not survive it. Right. You know what I'm saying? He he forced me to have to stop and look myself in the mirror and realize that I needed his help. I could no longer do this anymore, this thing called life. I wasn't cut out for leading it on my own. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm a good leader of men to a degree, I think. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you know, I'm in the workforce and stuff like that. I'm the kind of guy that likes to get everybody involved and help out and be a team player and, and you know, make sure everybody's on the right page or teach someone how to do something or a new trick to the trade. But the bottom line is that I had to understand that I was not the one that was supposed to be in control of my life. You know what I'm saying? That mm. I was not a good steward of my own decisions. Um, and since I put God in the front and I let him steer you know what I'm saying? I let Jesus take the wheel. Um, you know, my life's been a whole lot different. And like I told my brother just a couple of days ago, we were on the phone. I said, man, I said, John, I said, even when I wake up and I'm having a bad day, I'm having a good one. Yeah. I said, because I have peace, I have happiness, I have 
sense of, of, of being, you know what I'm saying? I, I right. know that I'm where I'm supposed to be and I know that God's got me, you know what right. I'm saying? And he's got a hold of my life and what he wants done with it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just whether or not I, I'm prepared for a long ride or I'm prepared for a fast ride or not. I guess it don't matter, but as long as I'm buckled up, I should be okay. <laughs> uh-huh. That's and, a great and if you think about it, if we go back to the Jonah story. I mean, when Jonah was under the bush, yep. even after he went to Nineveh, he was under the bush, he, you know, he was complaining and God took the shade from him and all those things. But I think back about, there was a bush moment for you. I mean, because even though things were all going good, when you and I first kind of got together, you had been in, put in a bad situation again not anything to do to yourself but yeah why don't you elaborate on that because that i think that's a really cool part yeah of that's story. that's actually awesome you know there's a part of my story which you know it, and i think it's interesting the way god puts people in your lives and it's funny because when you're in the darkness he puts people in your lives too just most of the time mm-hmm. we ignore those people and we try to let them get out of our lives as fast as they got in it <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm saying because we're Absolutely. not we're not we're not really trying to hear that right then and there but um when you are listening though god puts the right people the ones that are going to make differences in your life and in, in the way you look at things. He puts those people in your life at the most unforeseen times. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I remember uh, I was at living at this place from not too far around the corner from where John is. Actually, it's not too far around the corner from right here where we are right now at the studio. But um, I, I was living there. It was, uh, you know, higher rent, but it was a nice place. You know what I'm saying? And I was enjoying myself there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got a 45-day notice that I had to move. Right. Uh, the owner decided to sell his house while he was in Australia. He was a motocross racer. He decided he wasn't going to come back to America. He's got a three-year deal in Australia. So I, I'm told I had 45 days to move out. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm still on parole from prison. I've been out on parole for a little over four years now. Uh, I don't get off until April of 2021. But um, basically, because I'm on parole from another state, I can't be homeless in the state of Florida or I automatically in violation. I go back to right to prison. Um, so for 45 days, I was actively every day just looking, constantly trying to find places. Mm-hmm. I was calling on every place available. Every time I'd call, I'd either get the phone hung up on me or no, we're not interested, or hey, we're looking for somebody close to our age group. Or Bob, there is a hundred excuses, you know, under the sun as to why somebody didn't want to rent to me. But, and you know, but the most common one I heard was, "Yeah, I'd love to rent to you. When can we get together?" Oh yeah, well, I just need to let you know I'm a convicted felon. Oh well, yeah, well, we have about five other applicants yeah. that we're looking at too, and we'll get back to you know depending on who we like, you know, which one we decide to yeah. go. And it was always somebody else, you know, what I'm saying. Um, so that's been the hard thing is that as a convicted felon, nobody really wants to rent to you. Right. Um, out of nowhere though, before I ever even asked or told anybody about my situation, it got down to about probably about three weeks before I had to move, and uh, I still couldn't find a place. Uh, and I was, I was freaking out. I was getting a little worried, a little nervous and praying to God a lot. You know, hey, I don't know what you got planned for me, but, you know, you need to take control. I need you to I need you to help navigate this because I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what you want me to do. And, um, you know, I remember coming into Monday night, the night before I was supposed to be evicted or moved, had to be moved out. And right. um, I still hadn't found a place. And I had uh, I'd already come to terms with myself. I called my, my, my brother and I told him, I said, hey, look, man, I said, uh, I said, I'm probably going to end up in, you know, going back to prison tomorrow. I said, uh, I don't have nowhere to live. I can't afford to you know, rent a hotel room uh, by the month and stuff like that. And um, I don't make enough money to do that. So uh, I told him, I said, look, I said, you know, it's okay. I'm okay with it. You know, because this is where God wants me to be. Then, then this is where I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be. You know, maybe he's got something planned for me that I need to do there. You know, maybe there's somebody in there that really needs me. I said, so whatever God's got for me, I'm, I'm, I'm game. 
you know, and I called my son and my daughter and I talked to both of them about it. They didn't really want to hear it. Um, they got mad at their mom because their mom wouldn't let me come move back into her house and stuff. You know, all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. So it caused a lot of turmoil, you know, because my, my kids love me. You know, they, they they have a dad in their lives now that fights to be a part of everything in their life. You know, mm-hmm. that it's there for them even when they wish I wouldn't be. But I'm there because I love them and I want them to know that I, they always can turn to me. Um, so it was really tough for them. But I told them, I said, don't worry about me. I said, I only got like less than two years to go. I said, I can do that on my head. I said, your dad's a strong guy. I said, but when I get out, I said, you know, you guys better have your lives on the right track and you better be ready to do some stuff with your old man and have some fun or, you know, hang out and, and, and uh, let me meet the new guys and girls in your lives and things like that. And, but I had come to terms with it that I was going back to prison. And I walked in Monday night and uh, John had asked me because he had just took me the day before to go look at this place. And uh, we we're waiting here back about the lady. And uh, she just called me on my way to Monday night. Told me she said, "Well, she said I, I'm not going to place nine when you're available now for another eight weeks, and uh, so I can't rent it to you." Mm. I walked in there and John had asked me about it, and I told him, and uh, he asked me. He said, "Say, hey man, said, come outside, so let me talk to you for a minute." And uh, I, I'll never forget this moment because um, I'm not the kind of guy to ask for help. I remember coming right. to the men's group and when, when I asked John to announce mm. it in men's group and I put it on the page that you know if anybody knew of anybody that was renting anything to let me know. Um, I mean that's a lot for me. I, I, I've been raised to be the kind of guy where you know, you, you fight for, for your own self, you know what I'm saying? You stand up for yourself, you do what you got to do. You got to take care of something, go and take care of it. You know, I don't ask people for help because I don't want to owe nobody. I don't want to make nobody feel guilty. I don't want to make anybody feel like they, you know, they have to do something out of obligation. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy where if I can't do it on my own, then I guess it don't need to be done. You know what I mean? And, um, so when John pulled me outside, I didn't know what was going on. He told me, look, he said, uh, he said, uh, you know, I've been talking to Candy. He said, you know, before you even told me about this, he said, uh, you know, God's been putting on my heart. He said, and I didn't know why about this, this guest bedroom I have in my house. He said, uh, he said, I just felt like one Sunday, a couple weeks before you, you brought that up to me at men's group and told me about that. And he said, uh, he said, I felt like God was telling me, you know, he said, I even told my wife about it. You know, hey, you got this room, you know, what, what are you doing with it, man? Like, you know, I mean, it's just sitting there <laughs> wasting away. And, um, and I looked down and I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, no. Uh, he said, and then when you told me what you did, he said, and we were, you know, of course, the last couple of weeks or whatever, I've been trying to help you find a place and everybody's trying to help you find a place. And said, but me and Candy been talking about it. And um, he said, you know, we'd already made up our minds that, you know, if, if, if things worked out, then that's what God's plan was. But if they didn't, then, then we already knew what God's plan was. Right. And um, he says, so we'd like to offer our guest bedroom to you. Um, he said, we'll sit down, we'll talk and, you know, go over the rules of the house and, you know, come up with a fair price and everything. And, and they've been like incredibly more than fair to me about everything. Uh, uh, they've been a big blessing in my life. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, I got a, a real brother in Christ and, and, and a friend in John. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that's, that's, that's a huge step forward right. um, because I don't have a lot of friends. I have a few acquaintances and I have one or two long time you know, childhood friends, but I don't have any that this day that I do anything with because I have a problem trusting people. Every time I do, I get, I get, I get, they stab me in my back. I've never had anybody in my life, um, other than maybe my children, you know, I'm a brother that haven't done something wrong with me or mom, you know, but even my sister did, you know, my sister done me dirty plenty of times. Like I've had family, friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and strangers do me the wrong way every chance Mm -hmm. they had. So, so for me to, 
step out and, and put that kind of faith and that kind of trust in somebody for me was already huge in itself, you know, not to mention how huge it was for John and his family to welcome me into their home Absolutely. with open arms like yeah. they did. But um, it, it's just another testimony to what God, God does things for you when you can't do it for yourself. And my dad used to always tell me, he said, God will move mountains, son. He said, but you better believe he expects you to bring your damn shovel. Because <laughs> 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 that, that's just the way my dad was. You know, he was like, you better expect he, he meant you to bring your shovel. He says, because, you know, he expects you to do your job, too. Right, you man. know what I'm saying? As long as I'm doing what I can do, he'll take care of the things I can. Right. And he's done that. As long as I put faith in him and I do what he wants me to do, he's always there to catch me so I don't have to fall no more. Right. There you go. And he was speaking to John about that before John knew what was going right. on, before you knew what was going on. Exactly. And all the little details. Exactly. Father handles it. Yes, exactly. he does. And I had that written down to 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 kind of like be a closing question. Remember the nude guy in your driveway yep. with your father and what he did for him? Yep. Father pays back, you know. Yep. And bet he does. And that, that I just thank God Josh wasn't in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think I'd have been I don't think I've been naked taking shower though, John. Yeah, God God is definitely good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. He is, but you know, it's 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 funny, you know. I look I look back at a lot of things and I think to myself, I'm like, you know, if if only, you know, that those are probably the biggest mistakes and regrets that I have in my life is the if only moments. If only I had decided. 10 years ago that I was ready to give God back my life, where would I be today? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but you had to go through all exactly this. this thing. I had to go through the fire and the to. brimstone because God knew that I was too you stubborn to right. listen to anything else. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm a hard headed Irishman. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm a little crazy, you know, the doctors say, but, but how they how love, how many times you know, were you arrested? A lot. That was just before my 18th birthday. Yeah, that was a lot. Well, hindsight's yeah. always 2020, and we could all sit here and, and remember when we heard the still small voice, and then we heard the louder voice, yep. and then finally we had to have the stool kicked out from under us. Uh -huh. yep. You know, and I can recall many pivotal points in my life where the, the still small voice was back there, and I had yep. a choice at that time. Yeah. And uh, wow, what a story. Amazing. Yep. Session 223. Wow. Halloween special. That was a special. That was spooktacular. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just want to say to you guys, I appreciate you letting me, you know, you invite me to come on here and, and do this with you. Um, well, you bet, man. And uh, I'm, I'm sure grateful to be a part of the family. I'm sure there was someone's out there that needed to hear that for sure. You aren't kidding. Man, we had a few on Mixler. Welcome everybody on Mixler. You dialed into a good one tonight. Wow. Fantastic. Listen. If you have a testimony as well, drop us a line at GodStoriesRadio at gmail.com. And what else can they do, Mikey? They can tweet us. They can tweet us at Twitter. And, you know, like us on Facebook so it's not awkward. And we can give you a shout out and welcome you to the GSR family. family. Absolutely. We love uh, our Facebook family because we can post prayer requests and encouragement there. And then we post the new uh, episodes like this session will be up on there tonight. So you can listen back to it again because uh, I am. I'm sure there was things that I missed, all those mm -hmm. little coincidences, you know. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. man, isn't Father amazing? All the little details, man, that he works out. Absolutely. JD, welcome back to the studio, brother. Hey, my pleasure. You so guys. So good to have you, man. So proud of you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. It's making a huge difference, difference in a, a lot of people's lives. And it's, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to call you guys my brothers. And oh, stuff. man. Likewise. And Likewise. If, you, if you've got stories like these guys, you know, check out Real Men at, uh, at Real Life. 
And that is on Monday night at seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, and you guys are in the the old sanctuary. The old sanctuary, the old sanctuary and okay. uh, as I like to say, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the rubber right. meets the road. You got you will not be disappointed. I promise. <laughs> so. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on this Halloween special. That about wraps it up for Session 223. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. All right. God bless you. God bless. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you and is of me. I want more of Less of me yeah. Holy fire Burn away My desire For anything That is not of you and is of me I want more of you And less of me Love me, I want more.